Welcome to The Lisa Show. I want to take this conversation on how we can reconnect with our teenage sons and I've had this opportunity myself, but here to give us some clinical, some doctor's proven uh, comments and remarks is Dr. Laura Markham. She's a psychologist, an author, and a parenting coach. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Laura. My pleasure. So uh, I, I was just a weirdo. I think uh, I think most people, as we look back mm-hmm. at our, our teenage years, maybe it was just that seeking to for approval or identity. We aren't today who we were as teenagers and parents really struggle to find that connection in the, in those teenage years. Do I have most of that accurate? You do. And I don't think that there's been a teenager ever who doesn't think they're a little bit of a weirdo, (laughs) right? Even when they're the popular kid in the class, they're trying so hard to get approval from their peers. They're trying so hard to be independent from their parents and yet they need their parents And they want their parents to love them and to approve of them, even while they want to be different and stand on their own two feet. So being a teenager is just hard. The life challenges of a teenager, the appropriate developmental challenges, are tough ones for all of us when we're teenagers. So it's hard for the parents and it's hard for the teen. But we can find a way to nurture our teens and to help them on that path. Because, well, and quite frankly, because how we do it may reflect our relationship as they move into their early adult and then adulthood years. So hopefully in the time that we have with you, we can really understand how through that 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 uh, teenage wasteland or, or whatever we want to call it, <laughs> how we can be able to still find those points of connection so that we can have that best possible relationship yes. moving forward. Yes, absolutely. There are ways to do it. And I think the first thing for parents to remember is it's normal for teens to withdraw a little bit from the parent during those years. There are changes in the brain that make teenagers more able to become independent, which is their life challenge at that moment. That's their developmental work. Mm -hmm. So they become more interested in what their peers think of them than what they have been interested in the past, which is their parents approving of them. And that's completely normal. And it doesn't mean they don't love you. It doesn't mean they're rejecting you. It just means they have other work to do now. And you have to work in different ways to stay connected to them. How can we um, avoid parental amnesia? And so maybe, if, if you've never heard that term, maybe it's self-coined, but that, that idea that uh, as parents we always think, well, I was never that way. I was certainly a different kind of, kind of teenage kid. And so we project these expectations onto our, our, our teenage kids. How can we avoid that? <laughs> well, I think the truth is we probably were in our own way, that kind of kid. We all had challenges, and sometimes it's hard to remember them because, thank goodness, most of them worked out. <laughs> we, we grew up, right? Yeah. But it's also true that every person is unique. So you might have been, I've talked to many parents who say things like, well, I don't understand why my son is so shy and quiet. I was so outgoing. I was always the life of the party. Well, not everybody is that person, right? Mm-hmm. So you are going to be different than your child as well. And our job is not to question who our child is. It's like you get a packet of seeds. Your job is to give those seeds the conditions that they need to thrive and grow and blossom, no matter what kind of flower is in the packet, right? So your child does not have to be like you. So you said, how do we avoid the amnesia? I think the important thing is to remember that our child is unique and they have a right to be who they are. And who they are is the only place they can start from to evolve into who they're going to be tomorrow and how we, the conditions we provide, will shape who they become tomorrow. You know, you don't yell at a plant, (laughs) straighten up, grow right. (laughs) You you give it more sun, you know, a new pot that it can flourish in that's bigger for its roots to expand, right? That's what we do with our children, right? We stay connected, but we give them a little more autonomy. We give them complete affirmation. Even if we suspect that the stage they're in, they're going to be outgrowing by tomorrow, we, we still say, wow, this is what you like today. You like this music. You're, you're into these clothes. Now, we may have limits. You can't go to school in those clothes or <laughs> church or synagogue. That's mm-hmm. true. But, but that doesn't mean we don't affirm our child's interest in things. 
We're talking with Dr. Laura Markham about how we can best uh, stay connected or reconnect with our with our teenagers. Certainly, some of the toughest years, if we can. Uh, push through that parental amnesia and remember that time for us and and have a little bit of empathy for our kids as they make it through. I love the example. Uh, if, if you spend any time listening to The Lisa Show, you'll know I'm the, a little bit of a dimmer one. So examples for me help drive things home. You talk about our, our teenagers as plants, as flowers, as as parents being the gardeners, and we need to provide the, the, the right conditions. So if we can take this example maybe a little further, like what is that soil and water and fertilizer and sunlight that we can give our kids the best possible chance to grow into everything that they that they possibly can to their potential? I think the first thing is, as I just said, we accept them for who they are, even though they're changing every day. Mm-hmm. We allow them to be who they are. Who they are is good enough for us. We, we're not always trying to make them into... I don't know, the kid who got the award at the ceremony in school last week or, you know, the neighbor's kid who, you know, mows the lawn without complaint. We still may ask him to mow the lawn or ask her to mow the lawn, but we're going to be aware that they may not be the kid who wants to jump off the couch and do that. They may be reading their book or doing their homework or even planning a party with their friend. That's okay. Whoever they are is okay. We can still expect them to contribute in the family, to get their work done for school, maybe to, you know, maybe in your family you have a requirement that they have to do one extracurricular at least because that has to be about physical activity. Whatever your family rules are, that's fine, but we accept their feelings about it. I know you hate it, but in our family, we, this is what we do, you know. So that's the first thing is that we accept them as they are. The second is that we manage our own anxiety. So often, as parents of teens, we have reason to be anxious. We have reason to be anxious because they're out in the world without us, without us as the intermediary. When they were younger, we were at every game or performance. We could talk to the coach. Now, it's not so appropriate for us to talk to the coach. We might coach our child about what they want to say to the coach about, you know, getting into the game more often. But it's not appropriate for us to be the one on the front line. We're helping our child learn the skills to navigate life. And to do that, we're only effective if we manage our own anxiety first. Mm. So intervening with our child always has to come from first calm yourself down (laughs) and then listen. Listen more than you talk. Ask questions. Seek to understand as opposed to direct Sometimes we do have to direct. Sometimes we do have to correct. But before you direct or correct, make sure you connect. Make sure you sit down with your kid and connect with them before you give them any kind of a direction. You know, he's playing his guitar. You want him to empty the dishwasher like he's supposed to have done when he got home from school. (laughs) And you go sit next to him and you listen to the guitar. And you say, wow, you've almost got that song down. I love that. Tell me what this song is. This is so great. And then, after you've admired his playing, you say, oh, and hon, I need to get dinner started. It's a lot easier if we get the dishwasher done first. You know that's your job when you get home from school, right? Can you get that done now, hon? And your kid's like, no, no, I just have to get this little piece of the song together. And you go, I know, and that could take you half an hour. I need you to do the dishwasher now. Come on, let's go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you make it not a negative interaction. You hold your limit. You're in his face in a friendly way until he comes to do it. But... You're connecting with him the whole time, and it's just part of life that sometimes we have to do things we're not enjoying doing, but we understand he doesn't want to do it, and he'd rather play his guitar. That's all okay. So you're managing your own anxiety and your own annoyance because, you're, as you said earlier, you're seeing it from his point of view. He's not going to have the same priorities you are. And, in fact, it's important to remember he or she, they don't have as developed a prefrontal cortex as we do. Mm -hmm. Even we adults certainly get annoyed and lose our temper in ways that we later think, oh, I'm so sorry I did that. I said things I shouldn't have said, right? And our children, when they're teenagers, may seem all grown up. They may be bigger than we are physically. Mm -hmm. But in fact, their prefrontal cortex, it's not done until they're 25, if then. So they don't have the same ability to see that if I sit here and play my guitar instead of doing the dishwasher or my other chore, or instead of studying for my science test tomorrow, I'm going to run out of time, right? They don't have 
they're moving in that direction, but they don't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex. So we still have to patiently, over and over, remind them and help them stay on track. And gradually, they take that work over from us. And I think when we get into trouble as parents, it's often because we think it should be different. But actually, this is normal for teenagers. Just like for toddlers, it's normal for them to say, no, 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 <laughs> me do it myself. And you still have to get them through the routine. Teenagers are in a different phase, but it's not so different. It's me do it myself, right? But they don't have the full complement of tools in their brain that they will have in 10 years. You know, using this whole gardening example, and then in the remaining time, I want to speak to this subject as well, the idea of pruning. There are times where we have to take a very firm stand as a uh, as a parent because the choices of our teenagers are growing in a, in a wrong direction, right? In, in things that we can collectively say, universally say, those are choices that we then need to step in. What's the best way that in those extreme cases we can uh, assert ourselves as parents but not uh, alienate or ostracize for that opportunity to have a relationship in, in later years? Well, that is, of course, the toughest thing. Yeah. And I would say that the mistake most parents make is that they are pushed to the limit by some incident. The child misses their curfew to come home or fails a test or gets a terrible report card or is very rude to the parent. There could be any number of triggers, but the parent responds by losing it at that moment, laying down the law, you'll never hang out with those friends again, you're grounded for a month, whatever it is. And then the parent feels bad about it and thinks, well, I overreacted. So the best thing to do is to actually, at that moment, when you're triggered to say, I am so angry, I can't think straight, we need to talk about this. But right now, I'm going to go to bed and you're going to go to bed and we'll talk tomorrow when we've both had a good night's sleep. Or I'm going to make dinner and you're going to do your homework and I need you to be on your best behavior and we'll talk about this later on. You can talk about it on the weekend, three days from now if you want. Hmm. But before you talk about it with your child, get clarity on your own values. What exactly is wrong for you? And what's a reasonable way to have a solution? You're allowed to set limits. You're still the grown-up. They still live with you. But you'll want to start by connecting always, or you have no influence. Yeah. That's really important for parents to remember. Where there's no connection, there's no influence. So when you sit down with your child to talk about this issue, whatever it is, you start by connecting. The other night when you came home, I could smell the marijuana <laughs> or... You know, you banged up the car, and it's going to cost this much to fix it. Whatever it is that pushed our buttons and triggered us for good reason, we start by describing as non-judgmentally as we can what happened that triggered us. And then basically you're opening the door to your child speaking, and the only way to do that is to empathize. You must have been scared during that accident. Or I know a lot of kids are smoking marijuana these days. You must have, when you go to parties or when you get together with your friends, there always must be that temptation. Mm -hmm. Or... You know, your sister, you know, borrowed your thing, your sweater again, and so you went in her room and screamed at her and wrecked things in her room. I understand why you were enraged. So you're acknowledging the situation they're in, whatever that problem is that they're coping with. Yeah. You're acknowledging it. You're empathizing with it in as non-judgmental way as you can, because that's what opens the door for them to talk to you. And then you shut your mouth mm. and they sort of look at you and you look at them and you smile at them and you say, you know. I love you no matter what. Mm. And, and we need to figure out a way going forward that you can live in this house with our rules, and I'm perfectly happy to listen if you think our rules no longer make sense for some reason. I want to hear what you say, what you think about all this. And then your kid says, well, you're old-fashioned, I should be able to drink, or whatever they're going to say. Right. Or, 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 you know... Um, the insurance will cover the car. I don't know why you're worried. Sometimes they deflect things. Mm -hmm. And you say, yeah, and when you dent up the car, you have to pay for it. You have to pay for part of it or something. You know, you say, yeah. I totally get that that was, you know, that everybody, when they're young, have a fender bender. And thank goodness it wasn't more serious. And, and you were texting, as you told me. Or maybe you don't know if they were texting. Right. You just know they had a fender bender. And it's easy to get rattled in that moment. And it's still your responsibility. So we do need to talk about the repair you're going to make with this. So you start with letting, with acknowledging the situation, and then you open the, you empathize to open the door for them to share with you. And when they share, often they're going to vent. 
they're going to be like, well, it's not my fault because of X, Y, and Z. My sister's really a problem. <laughs> you know, um, you and dad are always pressuring me and nagging me. Whatever they might want to say about it, you go, wow, I didn't realize that that was bothering you so much. Tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah. You don't get defensive. You don't say, naggy, we barely say a word. You say, oh, my goodness, I didn't know that bothered you so much. Tell me more. And if there's something that you legitimately owe them an apology for, like you've lost your temper a lot, mm-hmm. you say, yeah, you're right. I have lost my temper a lot. It's hard to be the parent of a teenager. You know, I've never been the parent of a teenager before <laughs> until now. And I'm still learning how to do it. And I apologize for losing my temper. That's not being a good role model. And I still expect you to tell your sibling what you need without attacking them or whatever. Right? So you're still setting your limit. But you're acknowledging their perspective. You're apologizing if, if it's anything that you're culpable for, regardless. It doesn't let them off the hook, but it, it does role model taking responsibility in a way that opens the door for them to do it, too. Yeah. As, I, as you've been talking and I've been taking notes, I'm going to have to uh, download our podcast and re-listen to this again because there have been so many uh, pivotal, very important points that you have helped us as we look to be able to connect or to reconnect with our, our teenagers. One of the things that I just want to highlight again is without connection... There is no correction, and I absolutely love that. Uh, Our guest, Dr. Laura Markham, is the psychologist and parenting coach behind ahaparenting.com. She's author of the Peaceful Parenting Approach series, and you can read her writing and more on ahaparenting.com. Coming up, more of The Lisa Show. Hey, you're listening to The Lisa Show. Now, we all know that exercise is important, but sometimes it can be hard to enjoy, right? Like, it's easy to get bored by doing the same thing over and over again. Now, now at work here at our station, we're starting this week a fitness challenge. You know, this is what they do to help to, like, incentivize you to not not do anything, right? To get up and get moving. So I'm looking for new ideas. And I know that when it's this time of the year across the country, no matter where you live, uh, spring seems to reawaken the, okay, it's been winter. We've been sort of hibernating, maybe eating and lounging more than moving and eating, (laughs) which is what our bodies are supposed to do. Eating's good. We love eating. (laughs) So I know I need to mix it up. Um, I, I, I get bored and what I do is I like double down, right? Like, so I'm like, I'm super into this Zumba class and I just want to go to that. And then I get sick of it and I think, no, I'm super into running. And then you're like, no, I'm sick of running. I'm super into high fitness. I'm super into, and then you just, you got to mix it up, right? So we are looking for ways to make our workouts more fun and to stay motivated and stay active. So we have invited Emily Nelson and Amber Zenith, the co-creators of high fitness this morning to talk about how we can make our workouts more enjoyable. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much. And welcome, Amber. Thanks so much for having us. We're so excited to have you here because I know that you think about this a lot, so you can do the thinking for us. Yeah, we, we're, we're exercise addicts. We love it. This is so great. So have you always loved exercise? Well, do you have to be born that way? In the, in the latest since we started high fitness, especially. But yes, we've always loved exercise. Um, but now we've taken it to a next to the next level of love because well, yeah. we are obsessed with fitness. We well, think people don't like to exercise. Like, what? Who are, okay, this is good. We know the health benefits. We know that there are also mental ben- benefits to it. Why do you love to to mix it up when you exercise? Well, t- for me, it's about the people. Yeah, like when you go mm-hmm. and you are with the people and you're surrounded and then you get those exercise endorphins. It's fun, you know, when you have your routine and everything to get you there okay. and you have your friends yeah. and the accountability and your classes you go to. But it is, if you're feeling, you know, bored, we say never settle. Like if you're like, I have to go to this because I'm supposed to do this and I have to do this 10 mile run. Yeah. Don't settle for that. Okay. There's so many things out there, like find something that you love. Yeah. Okay. So that disconnect then, because sometimes I think, well, I have to stick to the schedule, right? The schedule. So uh, Otherwise, I won't do it. So so if I find myself stuck in a rut like that, like, well, it's the day that I'm supposed to, you know, run five miles or whatever, or it's the day that I'm supposed to do leg day or whatever it is, and I'm not feeling it, what should I do instead? I think you have to flip the script. So take the supposed to out and <laughs> be like, I get to, because literally we're like 
booking our husbands. We can't wait to get the heck out of the door and start exercising. So um, the days of like kind of like, oh, I have to do 10 of these and mm-hmm. 50 of those. And it's grueling. It's horrible. Of course you don't want to do it. Um, it's We say it's kind of like brushing your teeth. It's like you do it every day. You do what you can. You do your best. And if you fall off the wagon a day and maybe don't do such a good job at brushing your teeth one day, well, do you stop brushing your teeth for the next month? That's no, you just keep no. going. So um <laughs> It's all about flipping the script and making it fun. So for Emily and I, what we wanted to do was create a fitness where it's your social. So um, and then it's like peer pressure. Yeah, right. Yeah. People yeah. expect you. I mean, your spot's going to be left wide open if yeah, you don't show up. Are waiting for me. Yeah, and you put like your that. cute little outfit out on the bed, and you do your hair <laughs> in a cute high ponytail, and it's all about flipping the script so it's no longer I have to, and you find something where it's like I can't wait I to. Get to. Okay, so I think for a lot of people, they think, I need to work out really early in the morning, like first thing, get it out of the way, you know, and then get on with my day. Or after a long day of work, when I'm kind of like exhausted and there's other things to do. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how we can help the with the timing of when we work out. Yeah, I do think that's hard. Like if you only mm-hmm. can go very early in the morning or at night, I know tons of people like that. I mean, yeah. that's real life. That's real and life. And for me, the number one thing is an accountability partner. Like if you're like, so-and-so is going to pick me up or I'm meeting oh, yeah. this person for a run, mm-hmm. like, or, or another thing is scheduling it. Like mm-hmm. you have to schedule it. If it's after work, make sure your childcare goes longer. If you're tell your wife or your husband, like I'm going straight to the gym, like schedule it into your day because that is not being selfish. That is self-care and yeah. you'll be a better friend, wife, mother, father, all of that. Like you have to schedule it in. And when you find something that you love, it's not going to feel like grueling. I get it though. Yeah. What were we saying last night? We were saying you have to think about how you're going to feel after <laughs> not yes. going into it because after work, that's painful to go to the gym yeah, but, like, or I a night class. Sit down. Yeah. But yeah. if you think about how you're going to feel five minutes in, it's a game changer. Yeah. Game. The minute you start, you're going to be, you never regret going. Okay. So for those who don't know what that feeling is like, describe it. Okay, so moving is literally medicine. I know that people that may not have moved for a long period of time kind of don't know that feeling or forget that feeling, and you get kind of in that slump. But literally, there is no better feeling or high haha, than um, <laughs> after an exercise, after a workout, especially we're group fitness advocates. We yeah. are obsessed with group fitness. I even go to go on a treadmill and I'm looking at that number and it's been a minute and 13 seconds and I'm like, is this I'm seriously right happening no. to me right now? Like, we can't do it. It's the yeah. worst. So we love group fitness because of the fun factor, the fun music. Everybody's there. You can show off your cute outfit or you can show up in your husband's t-shirt. I was going to no say, you cares. keep talking about these cute outfits, but well, I just sweat and And by cute outfit, it means whatever you feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yes. <laughs> we have people literally, I've had a girl the yeah. other day say, I'm in town and I forgot my workout stuff. She came in pajama pants, living her best life. And I was like, I'm so glad you did. She made it. There's always an excuse as to not, why not to come. So, but when you do something that is fun, you will want to come. You just have to find that thing that sparks you. So so some people may love weightlifting. That may spark their yeah. joy. And that's what you have to do. There's no right or wrong in movement. We think that if you're moving, you're winning, and that's it. Now, that's easy for you to say mm-hmm. as instructors who love it. What about those who are a little intimidated to walk into a new class or try something new when they've never done it before? I'm just yeah. imagining no, myself we get walking it. into like a kickboxing class going, yeah, I, I can do this. <laughs> no, we but, get it because even as fitness professionals, we've walked into classes where we feel uncomfortable yeah. and that you don't be I mean I don't think anyone's really immune to that but my my advice to this is is everyone feels the same way as you do so yeah. like do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. nobody's like or felt that way at one point so go in there immerse yourself introduce yourself to someone tell them you're new immerse yourself into that or ask for help if you're on the weight floor ask for help people want to help people want to involve you and very quickly you'll get over that people do want to help mm-hmm. like they it is an, uh, they love help encouraging environment yeah and not all environments are as intimidating as others let's just say that like some ooh some what do you mean formats you know if they're doing something where it's like 200 pound weights and oh, this and yeah. that mm-hmm. or if the vibe itself is a bit like you know, you can feel the coolness in the air and you're like, I'm not cool. That's like me. I'm like, I'm not cool. I got to go somewhere where they're like, you know, a bit not as cool. And you just find your environment. Like, yeah. like friends, some friends aren't suited for you. It's the same as a workout. Like, you're not for you everyone. Can, and no, it's okay. exactly. You've got to find 
what is what is right for you. But definitely find something that you love. Don't settle. Don't go, oh, I'm told I have to go on this treadmill for 35 minutes every day and settle for that because you don't have to settle for anything. You need to explore and find what you love and what gets you running out the door instead of dreading it. I love it. We're talking with Emily Nelson and Amber Zena, the co-creators of High Fitness, about how we can make working out a little bit more enjoyable. You know, uh, it can get boring. It can get mundane. It doesn't have to be. That's what I love about what you're saying right now. Um, talk a little bit about um, how a change of scenery might affect your workout and, and its effectiveness. Well, I definitely think, especially in Utah, take advantage of the seasons. Mm-hmm. Like if you're feeling like you're so sick of going in a gym or something, be like, okay, right now it's winter. It's cold. I'm sorry. I don't like the cold. I'd rather go inside a warm gym. But those outside endorphins, mm-hmm. like if you're like, plan with someone to go snowshoeing or, you know, like, or just even a brisk walk, like, you know, to get out. But I also think change of scenery can mean moving from a different gym. Like say you oh, are that's a true. boss I was going to say, if you're on the East Coast yeah. and it is pretty cold there yeah. and you're like, well, I'm not going to go. Try something else. Like yeah. go try a Pilates studio. Huh. You know, if you're uh-huh. used to going to the same gym every day. Yeah. A lot of times first time free, uh, you know, it's first time free or you can try it a week trial. Go drop into a spin studio or a yoga studio. Do Like switch up where you're going and and talk about fun. Let's not go alone. If we're talking about making our workouts fun, find a friend to go with you. Someone's going to want to go with you. It's all everything's more fun with a friend. That right. Is true. Uh, she's saying she doesn't like the cold. When we lived in Canada together, and it would be like 6.45 in the morning, it would be negative 25. And that I'd be like, there's no way miserable. she's showing up, and I'd be in bed. The knock on the door would come for the run, and I'm like, are you kidding me? But then I'd go. And you'd run outside? She would. She was crazy wow. back then. I think she's gotten a bit more. I think I've gone soft. <laughs> <laughs> but you, having you her need knock some more on Canadian the door. winters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Having her knock on the door, I would have never, ever, ever got up to run. But you feel that peer pressure. Yeah, you do. No, I always. Are you there? If I'm going to an early morning class, (laughs) I say, "Who's? Are you picking me up? Am I picking you up?" Yeah. That right there. If someone's counting on you, you're going to be there. Making making uh, plans. I think something that that people underestimate, and I and I did, and I'll never make this mistake again. And working out is the music. Oh, right. Music is everything. If you come to our training, like a high fitness training, this is what we say. Music is everything. Several yeah. times. Like nothing kills How the How do class. you choose the 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 music? Well, to motivate. We're from different decades. Mm-hmm. Um so that actually adds Yeah, that's adds probably great. value because we totally have different music tastes, which Everybody has different music tastes. So we try to make a diverse playlist with different genres and different years and so um but you music just you can hear a good song. You gotta you have good music, good beat, good music, yeah. beat, good music that you want to sing along to. Yeah, my husband makes fun of me because I have a playlist that I listen to when I run, and it's like I, I like I, I keep going back to it. I make new playlists, but it's like I listen to the same music for like years and years and years. But I don't care. It's your thing. It's right? your jam. I have jams that you Do never you? get sick of. Yeah. What are some of your go-to songs? Somebody's listening and they're thinking, okay, I'm okay. All right, I'll do it. I'll go. But, like, I don't know what to listen to. They need to be inspired. Give them some inspiration. Oh, oh there's so, so What are many. some of your favorites? Our favorites. Okay, well. Oh, like Queen, Don't Stop Me Now. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Come on. I mean, yeah. Living on a Prayer. Oh, that's right? good so good. How about Beastie Boys? There's some good old school we Beastie Boys, like Beastie Fight Boys. for Your Right. That's a good one. Good old Britney. I mean, come <laughs> on. Spears. Everybody loves her. Let's be serious. Even let... if you pretend you don't. <laughs> Yeah, this is a safe place. It's, I mean, a little fighter, Christina here. Aguilera. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. How about Black Street? No diggity. <laughs> so good. Hot but song. you know what's so nice right now? You just open your phone and go either on Spotify yeah. or Apple Music. And literally, there's playlists for you. You can hit pop hits. You can hit workout hits. And they're all there. So It's if- amazing how much you can just... I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling, oh, that's my song. Now I'm feeling it. And and it really can be very transformative. Um, you know, in order to to have a, a, a workout be more enjoyable, and this is how we started the conversation mm-hmm. and things like that, you've, you've given us some specifics about like it's, it's, you know, funner with a group or a friend, but it has to be the right kind of friend, right? It has to be yes. the right kind of group. What, what sort of uh, qualifications, I hate to say, or should we look for when we're just finding, making it more likely for us to return again and again? Well, I'd say happy faces. When you walk in the room, 
if you see chitter chatter and happy faces and, you know, the buzz, the excitement that they're excited to be there, that's a true sign of a class that people come back to over and over. Well, I also want to say that you don't necessarily have to go in with your best friend. Some of my best friends have been made from group fitness classes that oh. I did not know before. So it's okay to go in with oh. a, a Yes, a, an... but you have you can't stand in the back corner. You got to immerse yourself, right? And say like, hey, I'm new, like I said before. Mm-hmm. But I can promise you, you show up week after week with those smiling faces around you. They will become some of your best friends. They'll be from different stage of life and new, different walk of life. And it's those are the relationships. And that's honestly what keeps you coming back. I like that because I feel like there's friends that I'm like, hey, let's go for a walk. There's friends that I'm like, yeah, I'll go on a run with you. Mm-hmm. And then there's friends that I'm like, oh, yeah, let's go to Zumba. Let's go to high fitness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can we could do this together. But they're different people. Yeah. For each different sort of exercise. And I think that's okay. And I think that's – I love that I've met people that I would have never met because maybe they're not in my circle mm-hmm. or around me who are like my dearest friends because they chose to get out of their comfort zone. They chose to show up day after day. We all are in this together. Nobody's nobody's in this alone. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of talk um, in the exercise world and the fitness world about the order that you should do, you know, of cardio to weight training to strength train, you know, that kind of stuff, a warm up, make sure you have the cool down, all that kind of stuff. Um, Do you feel like that the order of a workout can help you um, either enjoy it more or not? Um, Well, maybe not. I don't know about enjoy it or not, but the effectiveness of it. Definitely. So which, uh, yeah, which is more effective? Well, well ours for is us, we have a set formula. We have a set formula based on like a bell curve and like based Tried on- Tried and true formula to get the most effective workout. Yeah. Based on HIT training and plyometric training, which is like proven to, you know, work. You'd never know because we've kind of disguised it with this really fun thing. But definitely there is an order to make things more effective. But I mean, I don't want people new to fitness stressing about any sort of order. I just want them moving. I just want them doing anything. So but, that's the most important element. But yes. if somebody's at home and they're thinking, oh, I can't get out to the gym, what advice do you have for them for how they should order their workouts? Well, you definitely want to get warm, but like warm up your body first, right? Uh-huh. Like that's important. But I think the biggest thing is, and what we do in our class is you want, if you want the most effective workout bang for your buck in the yeah. shortest amount of time, you want to spike the heart rate. Okay. Get uncomfortable, bring it down, short rest, spike the heart rate, bring it down. Like so, a stop and start. Yeah, like a stop okay. and start. Go hard, recover, go hard. Like that's gonna that's what gets those um, metabolism and everything going. Um, and that's what we do in our classes. We spike the heart rate with a cardio track, we bring it down with a toner, then we really spike it with a cardio push. So that's where the effectiveness mm. comes. But honestly, if they're at home and they don't know where to start and they can't get to a gym, go online, go on YouTube, oh. search Instagram, like there's so many workouts in there and take the thinking. Don't put this on yourself. <laughs> you don't need to reinvent no, the wheel. No, We're just follow someone you. else. Yes. If you if you Google like fitness formats at home, like you'll get bombarded. There's endless amounts of different workouts that you can do and different workouts that you can try. And yeah, so do you endless. feel like once you get into this and you become sort of a, you know, comfortable, right? That it's important mm-hmm. to make goals. Do you guys reward yourself and, and continually make goals? What's your philosophy on that? Um, fitness goals, no. <laughs> like really? health goals, no. We're more of the mindset that you do your best every day and you'll just end up being in the place that you're meant to be health-wise and size-wise and all of that. We feel that if you're like, by July 1st, I'm going to be 20 pounds less. My waist is going to be 28.2. You don't subscribe to that. You're failing. No, we don't. No, we do not at all. We're like, do your best every day. And we guarantee, and even if your best is, you know, having a few too many bonbons (laughs) and just showing up when you can, um, you'll end up where your body's meant to be in a healthy place. Um, And that's kind of a huge part of our message is that you don't have to be a certain size. We just want you to move and be happy and healthy. And that's the new fitness. That's new in fitness is just being you. And when you say find the joy in fitness, when you find that, those goals do come. Yeah. So like it's when people forget about like I'm trying to lose 20 pounds, I'm trying to do this, and they just simply show up and they go hard and they fall in love with fitness. Then we see the success stories of I'm down 20 pounds. I've never, but they don't say that. They say, I've never been happier. I've never felt happier and healthier because your mental health is in such a better place. 
Uh, do you ever reward yourself? Yeah. What does that look like with All fitness? So that you with don't fitness like... clothes? Yeah. Oh, is that what it is for you guys? Is that the motivating factor? Um, what do we reward ourselves with? We love having, you know, our treats here and there. We love, yeah. like, clothes. We love fitness clothes. What else yeah, do we love? Yeah, I, I do think, like, talk about... We, you don't have to have the outfits. You don't, you could show up in your T-shirt. Sure, But sure. I'll be honest. When you find a fitness outfit, whatever that may be, that makes you feel comfortable, yeah. you're going you're gonna to feel better. Yeah. Just find something that makes you feel cute and comfortable and that you're excited to put it on, and that makes all the difference. I can, so. you can under, and a new pair of shoes? A new pair. Oh, oh, oh. For me, like, that's like, mm-hmm. that is like heaven. That's in fact, we, I went on my first run in a really long time because I just I do love running, and it was getting kind of hard, and I was like, listen, Lisa. I talk to myself mm-hmm. when I run. Listen, Lisa, you could like like you're a runner. You can do the, it's you're going to get hit your stride. That runner's high, it's coming. Just get through and then you can buy a new pair of shoes cuz uh-huh. you'll be running all the time. You'll get so many miles out of this. It'll be time to turn around. It's an, funny the ways you talk to yourself. A new pair of shoes is like feels oh. like you're just like, yeah, oh. let's do this. I love it. I love Gold. it. You're you gold. guys have really found a lot of joy and in love in 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 working out. And it's inspiring. And I think as we're looking for motivation, it's good to talk to someone who has a different perspective who's like, listen, th- th- this is what the other side looks like for those of you <laughs> you who can are love a it too. time. You can love it. We have about a minute left. And in that time, I want you to both each give your best piece of advice for that person who's just on the fence that's like, I don't know. Okay, go okay. ahead. We'll start it's with me, you, Emily. Emily, first. Okay, so this is what I'm going to say. I hear time and time and time again, I wish I would have come sooner. I wish I would have started sooner. Do not let that be you. Start today. Do what it takes. Text a friend. Look up the schedule on the gym. Put on your walking shoes. I you, We don't want you to say, I wish I would have started sooner. Ooh. All right. It's your turn. Okay, so for me, this whole entire business that we created was based in an empowerment. So what had happened is I was in the fitness industry, but I was teaching and I really hadn't found my feet. And Emily came along and was like, you are awesome. You're so rad. I'm going to help you teach dance fitness. We're, we're going to, and I was like, you're not teaching me how to teach dance fitness. And through that, I found my feet and Emily left back to Utah and I was so empowered. I was so empowered that then in turn, I want to empower other people. So moving and feeling strong is empowering and you can do it. It'll change your life if you just start. There's nothing holding you back from being your best self. And that doesn't mean being a size two or anything like that. It's just feeling great and being authentically you. Being empowered. Well, thank you so much, Emily and Amber. Emily Nelson and Amber Zenith are the creators of the new Hardcore Fun Fitness class, High Fitness. And you can find more information on highfitness.com. You're listening to The Lisa Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Lisa Show. Compartmentalizing is a trendy term we hear all the time, but what does it mean? Compartmentalizing is taking the stress and disappointment from one area of your life, like work, for example, and not letting it bleed into other areas of your life, like your relationship with your kids. But how healthy is it to file away your feelings in your brain like this? Well, to weigh in on the subject, we invited psychologist Dr. Mike Brooks to be with us on the show today to talk about it. Welcome, Dr. Brooks. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Okay, so we hear about compartmentalizing a lot. What are the pros and cons of keeping each area of your life separate from the others? Well, a pro is we want to live in the moment we're in. So, for instance, if we're spending time with our friends or family, it's a good idea to leave work behind and then focus on family time or you know, it's possible we could be at a white sandy beach on the in the Bahamas and relaxing with a pina colada or whatever and not be there because we're thinking, oh, my God, my taxes are due. I've got this to do at work. I'm missing work. I'll have to catch up. And, you know, yeah. and it goes and then we're not even on the beach anymore. Yeah. We're not experiencing that. And I, I think that's a big problem in, in our lives because uh, our our worries and concerns do bleed over from one area to the next. So the idea of compartmentalizing, uh, in theory, it's, it's great. I think that in practice, our, our brains don't work in compartments. Uh, our, mm. it, it, our, our brains are associative networks. So, you know, we can be in one place and be thinking of, you know, one uh, – uh, conversation cues thoughts about finances and taxes and our kids' health, and we need to take them to the doctor. And da 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 da. 
uh, it's very difficult for uh, our brains to compartmentalize. So in our houses, hmm. we think, oh, I can put, you know, these, uh, you know, uh, toiletries in this area of the bathroom and the Band-Aids go here and my socks go in this drawer in these different compartments. And then we port that over to our lives and say, you know, oh, yeah, I need to do that. And, you know, quit thinking about work when I'm with family and, and stressing about odds and ends. But it's really difficult to do. And the, the danger is that um, there's this thing that I like. It's called ironic rebound is the more we try not to think of something, the more we end up thinking about it. <laughs> right. So if I tell you don't think of a pink elephant, you start thinking about a yep. pink elephant. If you tell yourself, I should not think about the junk going on at work, stressing me out, that conflict with my coworker, you just thought about your coworker. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're now it activates the stress. So trying to tamp it down, the very act of trying to do that makes activates that associative network in our brains and so there then we're stressed again. It, it is ironic. Yeah, and now all it, I'm it, it, it is. going over in my head over and over and over again is that song from Dumbo about the pink elephants. Oh. What do we yeah. do? What do we do? Now, I was ha- thinking about my taxes, yeah. but yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah we, we all do it. It's just so, so difficult uh, to tamp down our anxieties. And I think the way I, I work with clients about it is, mm-hmm. is you know, if, if we we're trying to compartmentalize our stress. I mean, one thing that it, it inferred is we have stress. And yeah. rather than compartmentalize it, I'd say, what's the source of the stress? Mm. Yeah. How do we deal with it? Uh, because that stress can follow us wherever we go. And efforts to tamp it down and compartmentalize it, not only can they backfire, but it takes psychological energy to try, you know, to, to keep it at bay. Meanwhile, it's it's like a, a water in a kettle that's starting to boil. And if you can imagine the stress is like that, if it doesn't have a way to, to leach out, I mean, it could explode. Mm-hmm. But the other is it'll try to find a way out, you know, find any crack or crevice and start pushing through there. Um, and so if we're really stressed at work, for instance, and we're like, okay, I, I'm going to just be home and, and be present well, if we're trying to tamp that down, what we might end up being is more irritable with our kids or our partners and, you know, more uh, short with them, reactive. And it's because we're sitting on, on just water boiling. Um, and I think as a psychologist, you know, what I, when I'm working with clients is, hey, what is that stress? Yeah. What's the source of it? And what can we do about it so you're not carrying it with you wherever you go? Is there, is there another element of that, Dr. Brooks, where if you're able to compartmentalize it so well that it you can turn it off and then it subsequently turns on and becomes overwhelming, like the person who mm. can leave work completely behind, but then when they come back to work, it becomes paralyzingly um, like too stressful? Much. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think it, and now I, I, I'm, I'm a big not either or, but a both and type mm-hmm. of person. Mm-hmm. You know, there's very few things in life that are black and white. And I love the Ben Franklin quote is there's no certainties in life, but death and taxes. So, right. <laughs> you know, someone listeners are hearing this and they'll think, well, I'm able to compartmentalize and I do it pretty well. Yeah, Some people can do it relatively well. Um, with smaller things. I think the bigger things, it Mm. gets harder and harder to do. And I think there is that danger of it coming out somewhere if we don't address it in a healthy way and say, wow, I've got this thing going on at work that is just wearing me down. You know, the conflict with coworkers, my boss is treating me unfairly. It's Mm -hmm. a toxic work environment. And ultimately, we don't want to tamp that down. We want to address it. Uh, A good analogy is a physical injury. Imagine you've got a, you know, sprained ankle or something like that, Mm -hmm. and you're engaging in various physical activities. You have to be mindful of your your ankle um, as you're going about your day to make adjustments to deal with it. You don't want to, you know, overdo it. You don't want to act like it's not there Mm. because you could injure yourself a lot you have to and now at the same time 
you don't want to overfocus on it all day long. There are certain times you're at a meet and greet for an important work meeting. Well, you don't want to be thinking about your ankle the whole right. time. You want to say, take some deep breaths and go, I know my ankle is in a lot of pain right now, but I'm going to put on my game face and I will tend to my ankle the best way I can before. I'll take some Advil. I'll wrap it, mm-hmm. do the best I can. And then afterwards, I'm going to tend to it. So it's it's kind of the the middle way is not ignoring it. It's sort of recognizing and accepting that it's there. And then sometimes it's it's I'm going to put it on hold a little while mm-hmm. and turn my attention to what's at hand, you know, this presentation I'm doing, or, you know, I'm doing this interview with y'all. What if I'm thinking about my day? And now that mm-hmm. it's like, well, then I won't be present for the interview. It's There's a time and place for everything. We're, That's Ecclesiastes, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're talking with Dr. Mike Brooks about compartmentalizing um, and really answering the question, is it really that healthy? I, I think we hear a lot right now, It. It's sort of having a moment. It's a little trendy. Um, you've talked about maybe some situations that we can use it, but do you feel like compartmentalizing is really as healthy as everyone seems to think it is? I, in general, don't think so because I think at the root of it is when we're talking about compartmentalizing the need to do it, we're talking about stress. And stress, mm-hmm. we know, is bad for us. It, uh, you know, our blood pressure goes up. I mean, every metric of our functioning, everything you can think of is bad. It puts us, stress puts us in a fight or flight response. And, you know, nature evolved us to have these physical threats where it activates a stress response so that we could uh, fight, flee, or, um, uh, well, sometimes it's freeze. <laughs> that's like deer in the headlights, where sometimes mm-hmm. that's the most adaptive response. But now we can imagine threats to us. We can imagine an audit by the IRS. Well, I'm talking a lot about this. The yeah, yeah something on your mind. Ooh. We can tell. Projecting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is a safe place. We're all friends here, so. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, whatever it is, uh, our minds can imagine these threats mm-hmm. to us. Uh, oh, my kid, he's been coughing lately. Could it be the coronavirus? Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. That could be awful. Well, now we've initiated this fight or flight response, but there's nowhere to go. We cannot run from our own minds. <laughs> so yeah. Everywhere we go, we bring our brains with us that are it's imagining all these threats to us. The politics, the politics are toxic. Oh, my God. You know, Trump is this and it's going to destroy America. Oh, Bernie, what if he wins? It's going to destroy America. Well, the thought of America being destroyed <laughs> is a pretty heavy one. Yeah, yeah that's um, a big thing but, to take but, on. It is. The coronavirus. I mean, you, you see the news. It's leading the news cycle every day, and, and it creates this kind of panic, which then we're carrying this stress with us wherever we go, and that is toxic for us. It, it suppresses the immune system. Uh, it causes inflammation. It's even related uh, some to Alzheimer's, like ongoing stress, uh, sleep, disrupted sleep, you know, you name it. Uh, chronic stress is bad for it. So what we need to look at instead of compartmentalizing to say, well, there's a time and place for that. But if you're having to do it a lot, that means you have a lot of stress, which means you need to take care of the stress. You know, it's interesting. We've been talking a lot about this compartmentalization with stress, but Mm -hmm. also I think a lot of people will do it with hurt. And I'm not, uh, mm. and I'm not speaking from my own personal psychological uh, endeavoring, um, but when you compartmentalize stuff, you don't allow y- yourself the opportunity to actually feel the way that you need to feel, oh, and then be able to and deal with it, and, and to be able to deal with it. If you're compartmentalizing it, and oh, that's the past, mm. or I don't have time to deal with that. Just like with this stress, it can it can start to kind of seep out. Would you Would you agree with that? Yes. Yes, totally. Every time I tell my wife to quit talking about that and compartmentalize it and the hurt that I caused, it somehow it just doesn't fly. Yeah, honey, yeah. put put that away. Just, just we got over that. Yeah. Here. I, I'm over it. You yeah. need to be over it. Uh, yeah, we can't file those things in a drawer. We need to address them and get to the root of them and see what's causing them. And in a lot of our I mean, whether it's hurt, anger, stress, yeah, it's not it's not just stress. It's it's really any emotion. Uh, we don't want to sho- try to shove it in a drawer. Um, 
we need to like look at it and and figure out what's the root, what can we do about it. Um, and then a lot of the stress we experience, and this is my, this is one of the things I, I talk to my clients about a lot, is if we were to put put a sufferometer on us and it measured our day-to-day suffering and it registered just everything, uh, what we'd have is a lot of the suffering is really unnecessary. Mm. It's our minds in overdrive looking at threats. One of the quotes I, I like is uh, it's by a French uh, playwright uh, and, and political commentator, uh, Henri de Balzac. He said, our worst misfortunes never happen and most miseries <laughs> lie in anticipation. So if you think of like a big presentation in two weeks, if we had that sufferometer, it could measure our suffering. Oh, what if, what if I mess up? What if, you know, I freeze in front of everybody? What if they don't like it? What if I get blacklisted? You know, they, they, mm-hmm. they fire me because my presentation's so bad. We could suffer all the way up two weeks worth of suffering. <laughs> to a our lot of suffering. Yeah. A lot of suffering. And then we give it and what happens? Nothing. People like, or, I mean, the worst that happens is people are a little bored, but like if we look back at the own, our own presentations, we've witnessed, we've seen other people's presentations. I mean, how many presentations have we seen where someone did so bad, we're like going to blacklist them for life? Right, right. You know, it's like, it doesn't really happen. So the suffering, the anticipatory suffering is very significant. But the actual thing, once we get to it, it's usually not, the, oh, my kid may get the coronavirus. It's like, no, it was the flu. No, it was right. just the sniffles or allergies. But yet we suffer, suffer, suffer. And that's the kind of thing we don't want to compartmentalize that suffering. We need to find out, wait a second here. I'm, I'm stressed out to the max. Is that really warranted? Is, mm-hmm. is, is my mind in overdrive? And oftentimes it is. The, the headlines we read, it, it gets our mind activated because we have a negativity bias. It's called where we, our default in life is we look for threats and we're on alert because evolutionarily that, that had a place. But now that doesn't serve us so well in this day-to-day environment, yet our mind keeps looking for threats. And so that's what stirs up a lot of stress. And it's not to say people don't have real stress. There is a lot, but oftentimes it's unwarranted or exaggerated. It's, it's more than is needed for the situation. And that's what we need to look at and address and say, what is the root of this and what can I do with it in a skillful, adaptive way to dial it back? So I don't feel the need to try to shove it in some compartment. Yeah, that's so great. Rethinking compartmentalization um, and really dealing with stress in the best way. You've given us a lot of good questions to ask ourselves to reframe kind of how we started out with this conversation in dealing with stress, that ironic rebound uh, <laughs> so that we don't yeah. perpetuate yeah. that yeah, um, in our negativity bias. Yeah, no, I feel I feel equipped to move forward. We appreciate um, your your advice, Dr. Mike Brooks is a licensed psychologist, founding director of the Austin Psychology and Assessment Center. You can read his writing on psychologytoday.com. Have you downloaded the BYU Radio app yet? If not, it's free, available in whatever application store you use. Thank you for listening to The Lisa Show.